You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I create the fruit of the lips. And isn't that true? I want you to think about it. You know, the praise that God places upon our lips is exactly that. He is the one who places that praise upon our lips for all that he's done, right? All of the wonderful things that he does and continues to do. And therefore we praise him with with our lips. Peace to him who is Far off, notice he's using the same vernacular as did Paul here, the same words. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and to him who is near. Your praise will ever be on my lips. In today's message from Pastor Mike, he teaches you that it is God himself that makes us able to praise. Every good and perfect gift comes from his hand. Every blessing is from him and him alone. Pastor Mike encourages you to make a habit of offering praise to the Lord for all that He's done. Keep praise on your lips constantly to Him. He is worthy of it all. Think of all the blessings that God has extended to you over the course of your life and offer up your praise. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Isaiah chapter 57 as he continues his message, A New Race of People. happens through our regular time of Bible study, and I hope every one of you has a regular devotional on a daily basis. It happens in a Thursday night service, in a midweek service, making that commitment to come on out. Uh, On a Sunday morning, home Bible study groups, the seminars that we often uh, host, you know, over the weekends, like marriage enrichment seminars, or the women's uh, weekly Monday night Bible study, or the monthly men's discipleship ministry. These are a variety of different ways where we draw closer unto the Lord, the result of which is we receive of that peace. Isn't that true? Right? Because we're closer to him. We just sense his presence. God, he speaks to us in our need. You know, how many times do we come into a service like this one and and, uh, there's something on our hearts or some issue that we're dealing with? Uh, uh, Maybe we've lost a job. Maybe a loved one has become sick. We're facing some unsure future or whatever. And uh, we have these questions on our mind, and we come into the service like this, not even expecting you know, God to put his hand on that area of our lives, but he has a habit of speaking to us, right? He knows exactly how to meet our needs, how to speak to those kinds of questions within our, our lives. And so these are just a variety of different ways where we draw closer to Jesus, the result of which is this peace, this experience of peace. So again, let me say 
that the racial strife and bitterness had now been outlawed to make possible a new form of international fellowship. Now, herein was the problem. This was some of the problem that, uh, that lent itself to this hostility, this opposition between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was really the subject of legalism. You know, you, you, when you place certain restrictions upon people, you would think that it would have the opposite effects. You would think that if they subscribe uh, to certain observances, it would draw all people together. But just the opposite is true. You see, Moses gave to Israel certain commandments in the Old Testament regarding, like, for example, their diet, which was a part of the ceremonial law, or their conduct, the way that they were to live their lives. But here was the problem. Successive generations, unfortunately, increased their legal requirements until the traditions of the fathers became a burden too heavy to be carried. In fact, volumes of books had been written to interpret the law. And the law was pretty basic. I mean, you know, God laid it out to Moses, and then Moses, in turn, gave it to God's people. And, but, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes took it upon themselves to go ahead and to continue to interpret those laws. And there were volumes and volumes of books that were written on that particular subject. And thus the result of which was, and again, this led to the enmity, the opposition, the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. You see, serenity and peace no longer depended upon a dedicated worshiping heart, but rather a strict observance of the laws which had no connection with true spirituality. In fact, Jesus himself often addressed this issue, rebuking the Pharisees. Like, for example, in the book that we've been studying on Thursday evenings, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 23, and this was an indictment that he brought against the Jews and the Pharisees. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 23 and verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what were those weightier matters of the law? Justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> this was the indictment that he's bringing against them. He goes on and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So this, this was a, a part, this was the result of, you know, the Pharisees getting hold of the, of the basic laws that had been given uh, from God to Moses and in turn given to the people of God and these uh, extracurricular, you know, responses that demands that were placed upon them. And thus, once again, let me say, peace no longer depended upon a dedicated worshiping heart 
but on strict observance of the laws which had no connection whatsoever with their spirituality. Acceptance within the precincts of Israel did not depend upon consecration, but upon rather what the Pharisees declared to be holy. And listen, there was a great difference there. What God required had been made subservient to the wishes of the Pharisees. And again, this led to all kinds of problems, but particularly between the Jews and the Gentiles. So Paul here insisted that things had now changed. The war which existed within the souls of nations should end because Christ had made possible a fellowship pleasing both to God and to man. Think about it. Invited and initiated now into the family of God, these Gentiles, people saw each other as brothers and sisters and no longer enemies. You know, I, I think about, for example, the, uh, the Jews in Jerusalem. And uh, I, I think they actually, you know, took advantage of people's good nature and, you know, people were kind of ripping off one another amongst the Jews, these new Gentile, uh, these new Jewish believers. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that at, after, the, uh, uh, after the beginnings or the inceptions of the first church, the Bible tells us that the people there, they were all Jews, had all things in common. And, uh, but I think that there was among those people, people who were taking advantage of other people and they weren't working, and they were taking advantage of what other people had. And it got to the point where the church in the city of Jerusalem had become extremely poor. And so Paul, as he's traveling amongst these new Gentile believers, is taking up these offerings. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians, for example, and also in the book of Romans. Remember about the, the different, uh, at different times he receives these offerings. And these offerings were taken up among Gentile believers and were to go to relieve the suffering and the want of the believers in the city of, of Jerusalem. Now, how, how in the world did that take place? Because they were interested. God enlarged their heart, you see. And uh, God created this new race of people where there was no division, where there was no opposition, where there was no difference between the Jew nor the Gentile. And so people saw each other as brothers and sisters and no longer enemies. They found pleasure in helping their former foes. Listen, true peace had now become possible through the merit of Christ's death. Folks, truly, the war was over. Now this brings us to our third point this morning, and that is God's wish becomes a reality. If you're taking notes, write that down. Now, evidently, what had been accomplished here, that is creating this new race of people, the enmity uh, being put to rest, evidently, what had been accomplished had been carefully planned out in all of eternity. Again, this new race that I'm referring to. Because notice here, Paul, in chapter 1 and verse 4, and this was a part of our text that we've already addressed, but refers to the eternal ages of the past. Now, I, I want you to think of the bigger picture here. All of these things were planned out by God and the counsels of God between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world, before God even created the physical universe, 
before God created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. God, looking to the future, was planning out this new race of people in his son, Jesus Christ. Notice in chapter 1 and verse 4, we have the suggestion there uh, recorded for us. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. And basically that sums up what this new race of people look like, if you think about it. But notice here, he gives us the time frame, and this all was played out, all took place in the counsels of God before the foundation of the world. So Paul refers to the eternal ages of the past. But notice here in chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul then goes on and he mentions the eternal ages of the future. Notice what it says in chapter 2 and verse 7, which is also a part of one of our previous studies. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So Paul referred to the good pleasure of God's will and carefully indicated that nothing had been left to chance. And what was God's perfect will? What was his good will? Again, to create a new race of people in and through his son, Jesus Christ, where there'd be no opposition, no division, and there would be nothing less than peace. You see, God had desired certain things, and all his plans relating to predestination were connected with the supreme desire of his heart. He foresaw a kingdom of peace in which all men would be brothers. And this only became possible when the Spirit of God succeeded in transforming the hearts and desires of opposing people and uniting them into the bonds of an all-embracing love which emanated from God himself. Only God could accomplish this. And how did he accomplish it? Through his son Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. Now, that brings us to our fourth point, and that is the immediate results of Christ's work of redemption. And I'm going to draw your attention to uh, a couple of those results. The first of which is Jesus reconciled us. Now, what am I talking about? Well, let's go back to our text. Let's uh, begin in the latter part of verse 15. It says, So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile, there's that word reconcile, remember one of the first immediate results of Christ's work of redemption was that we were reconciled, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, therefore or thereby, putting to death the enmity. Now, to appreciate what Paul is saying here, it is necessary for us to understand the word that he used in this text. Paul emphasized that God's purpose, notice there in verse 15, was to make of two individuals one new man. And the Greek word translated new, that new man, the Greek word translated new there in verse 15 is the Greek word kanon and means differing in character. And that's exactly what he's done in our lives. We are different. We are different in character now. You know, Will, William Barclay, 
in his commentary, described it this way when uh, referring to the word new. He says, a thing which is kenos, or new, is new in the sense that it brings into the world a new quality of something which did not exist before. Folks, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of transformation that has happened in each and every one of us. So I believe Paul here is thinking of a new creation, and the Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Isn't that true? Think about it. You know what? I mean, this should cause us to be, uh, to have a great appreciation of what God has done. I mean, we are, we are, you know, totally a new person in Christ. So I believe Paul here is thinking of a new creation, something which, although already existed, was nevertheless something extraordinarily new. God took two elements, which were old, to produce something absolutely new. You know, another writer commenting on this fact said, and I quote, it was as if one should melt down a statue of silver and a statue of lead, and the two should come out gold. And that's what God has done. And also notice that this reconciliation came through the work of the cross. Notice there in verse 16, that's what we're told. Because there was no other way by which the task could be concluded satisfactorily. You know, I, I like, you know, I'm not big on revised versions of the Bible. You know, I'm a King Jimmy guy, right? And uh, I, I, I prefer, you know, I cut my teeth on the King James version of the Bible. Well, I cut my uh, teeth uh, on that version because Pastor Chuck Smith, who used to be my pastor, you know, exclusively used that particular translation of the Bible. And so uh, I've, I've listened to every tape from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation when I first began my ministry of Pastor Chuck's. And we're talking about hundreds of tapes that I listened to when I first began my ministry. And, uh, and Pastor Chuck always used the King, the King James. But when, you know, he needed to, you know, bring it down to, like, more contemporary English, he would use revised versions. But I, again, I'm not big on revised versions. But in this particular case, I would refer you to, in verse 16, the Living Bible Translation. And the reason why I would recommend that is because that it's extremely thought-provoking. Let me read it for you. And this is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 16. This is the way that it's translated. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. And, and you know what? I, I like that translation. And so anyway, that was one. So it's extremely thought-provoking. And that was one of the immediate results of Christ's uh, redemption. That is that we were reconciled. But another result was that Christ reached us. Verse 17, and how did Christ reach us? The same way that I hope and trust he's reaching you this morning. That is through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Notice what it says in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Listen, think about this. No one can appreciate the gospel until he has heard and understood its message. 
you know, where that, whereby that person makes a connection with the gospel, gets hold of it, the very heart and soul of it, where he can actually interpret it. And it only comes through the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit. It, no, nothing short of a revelation by him where he opens up the scripture. That's why we always pray, God, open up this text of scripture to us. God, give us understanding, right? You know, here are two people sitting next to each other in one of our services. One person, hears, it's the same message. One person is soaking it up like a sponge, and it's tra- it has a transforming effect on that person, whereas the other person's hearing exactly the same thing, but it's just going right over his head, not making any connection with it whatsoever. How do you explain that? It's just through the operation of the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of the heart, right? And uh, the person has come to want to receive of the Lord, who appeals to the great teacher, who is the Holy Spirit, or, or that person just isn't born again. And that's the reason why Paul tells us that the natural man, that is the person who's not born again, cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually uh, discerned, right? So anyway, no one can appreciate the gospel until he or she has heard and understood its message. And this saying of Paul there in verse 17 might be a reference, this is what Paul may have been thinking of, when he said what is recorded for us in verse 17, that is to the promise given through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 57 in verse 19. Check this out. I create the fruit of the lips. And isn't that true? I want you to think about it. You know, the praise that God places upon our lips is exactly that. He is the one who places that praise upon our lips for all that he's done, right? All of the wonderful things that he does and continues to do. And therefore we praise him with our, with our lips. Peace to him who is far off. Notice he's using the same vernacular as did Paul here. The same words. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and to him who is near. Says the Lord, and I will heal him. Okay, so I want you to think about this now. Paul then, in this text in Ephesians, is probably thinking about his own ministry, that his calling, that compelling desire that he had that sent him to make known the gospel throughout Asia. And notice the scope of that ministry may be explained in two ways. Verse 17, what are those two ways? To those who were afar off and then to those who were near. So it seems as if there are two categories of people here, two classes of people who were presumably, or at least they should have been, closer to God. I mean, think about it. At that particular time, when when Paul first launched out on his various missionary journeys, you know, who would you, if asked the question, were closer to God, would it be the Jews or the Gentiles? In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where i long to be oh my that's all we have time for on this edition of in my father's house thanks for joining us did you know that you can listen to pastor mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app just search for in my father's house be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments 
If you don't have a church that you call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to our continuing study of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled. I remember what you said.